Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing from iHeartRadio. French chef Eric Repair is the culinary virtuoso behind one of New York City's flagship fine dining establishments, the Temple of Seafood, Le Bernardin. Repair has kept the restaurant at its peak for three decades, consistently earning three Michelin stars. In addition to the accolades he's earned for Le Bernardin, Repair himself has been honored as top chef in New York City and outstanding chef in the U.S. by the James Beard Foundation. He is also the author of numerous cookbooks and a New York Times best-selling memoir. And he hosted the Emmy-winning TV series Avec Eric. All of this on top of his charitable work, Feeding the Hungry with City Harvest. Born in the south of France, Chef Repair has a long and storied history with food. I wanted to know when he first fell in love with gastronomy. Actually, it's linked to eating because as a young kid, I was uh, always in the kitchen of my grandmother's, always in the kitchen of my mother. And my gra- I had an Italian grandmother, one from Provence. They were cooking soul food. And I loved the vibe in the kitchen and the smell and the, in, the ingredients everywhere, the colors. I was going to the markets with them. They didn't want me to cook. They, I was <laughs> allowed only to look and eat. And it's what I was doing. And I wanted to become a chef because I thought I would be in that environment. Those kitchens were very dreamy. Mm. And uh, it was in the south of France where, you know, everything smells good, all the herbs are strong, and you smell the melons and the basil, and everything has, has this fantastic smell and look. And so. I was four or five. I was obsessed with cooking. So when I was in school, instead of doing my homework at, at night, I was looking at cookbooks. So as you can imagine, I had bad grades. And then uh, when no, I was... You should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> then I was 15, and they called me at the principal office, and they said, that's it for you. You can't. We have to find what they call a voc- vocational school. Sure. And I was We're like, same here. I want to be a chef. That's it. And I went to culinary school thinking that I would be in those dreamy kitchens and, and so on. And then I started to learn the craft. And on the beginning, it's a bit boring because it's very academic. 
So I was not necessarily too excited. What was the school? What was the first one you went to? Uh, Perpignan, which is in the south uh, of France, at the border of with Spain almost. And then when I started in La Tour d'Argent in 1982, and I'm 17 years old, uh, that's a real, real kitchen with like 30, 40 guys cooking. And, and I'm like amazed and terrorized. And uh, I make all the mistakes in the world, but I love it. And it's maybe that's the moment. Maybe you're right. It was not when I was a kid. It was Tour d'Argent. Tour d'Argent in Paris, 1982. When you're actually doing it, not studying it. I'm really into it, like, like with my entire body and soul, and I'm giving everything. But yeah. when you see the Julia Child documentary that I loved, yes. when she talks about her training in France, no women. No, it was no woman at the time. And for you, the same thing? Yes, because the kid, first of all, it was not a job that, that was attractive. Like you were going in the kitchen because you were a bad student or you were dysfunctional, or you had problems and your parents were like... Go yeah, to the, all the men in the kitchen were thugs. <laughs> go to the kitchen, at least you would have food. And, and there was uh, also very, uh, how can I say, uh, physical, like we had... We didn't have the technology that we have in kitchens today, so it was very hot. Yeah. And the pots and pans were like super heavy. And actually, I burned myself. I burned my entire leg with like 50 gallons of lobster bisque or something. I mean, like, it, it, was, I could, it was like so heavy, I couldn't even lift it. So it was not an environment that women were really attracted. Right. Then the media made the idea of cooking in professional kitchens kind of romantic and glamorous. Mm -hmm. But... <laughs> Even today, it's not that uh, romantic and glamorous. It's really like, it, it's tough. Now, if, if it's, it's all men back then, and you're at Tour d'Argent, and you're a young man, you're 17, yeah. and you've only been in cooking school for a couple of years, how did they treat you? Were they, were they mentors, and they helped you? Or did they, was it like the military, and they were all shouting at you all the time? No, it was really uh, very much like the military. Except that the military, sometimes I never understood the logic of what we were supposed to do. Uh, because I, it was mandatory to be a military in France for one year. But in the kitchen, it was the same, except that it was a logic. But they were screaming at you. And the way they were educating you was through humil humiliation. Mm. So you were going there, they were breaking you, mm. and then the idea was to rebuild you and make you a champion. Of course, in the process, we were losing so many good people mm. because it, well, it's not the right way to do it. But it was being kicked in the butt, being punch in the shoulders, being insulted all day long, and so on, yeah. Put through a process. Yeah. But the, the other difference between Tour d'Argent and the military was at the end of the day, when the war work was over, you had a nice salmon mousse at the <laughs> restaurant, not in the military. No salmon mousse <laughs> at the military. Not really. <laughs> not really. How <laughs> no. long were you at Tour, Tour d'Argent? So Tour d'Argent, two years. Two years. And where did you go from there? I went to uh, a restaurant called Jamin. The chef was Joël Robuchon. He was considered at the time the best chef in the world, with another chef in Switzerland, Freddy Girardet. They were, like, no competition with those two guys. Right. Like, very different styles, but Robuchon was like, wow. Uh, and for me, it was a revelation. When I, when I met him, I was like, oh, my God. Okay, now we're talking. And, so uh, two years at Darchamp, you're only now 19 years old. Uh, yeah. So when you go to the other kitchen with Robichon, what, does, what do you have that he wants? Why does he want you in that kitchen? He wants young people because we are more flexible. We don't have bad habits. I had been trained in La Tour d'Argent the classic way, so I know my basics. Uh, describe that. 
So the, the basic, classic way is what? The classic, cordon bleu? No, cordon, cordon bleu is more like, how can I say? It's a, cordon bleu is a school for people who are going to cook at home. It's not a school that prepares you to be in a professional kitchen, got it, got it. like where I'm, I am evolving. Right. If we can make an analogy, I'm going to Formula One, and the other one is for, you know, on Sunday, driving your for car. Vespers. something. <laughs> so so it's, it's no comparison. But Robuchon wanted to have someone who knew the, the basics, because without the basics, you cannot really built and evolve with more pr the precision that he wanted. And for him, it was very important to have a young kid that was referred from my old chef to him. So he said, probably the chef said, okay, so repair is a discipline, he's not going to answer, he's going to work hard, he's going to he master this and that. He wants it. And he wants it. He wants to be there. Yeah. Which is always critical, which of, is always critical. Of course. I mean, I always... Uh, think about what is the space that I go into in my profession mm. that calms me and makes me feel very centered. But you can do a play and you, it can be very still and you wonder what their response is. And after a very still uh, response during the performance, they erupt into applause. They're sobbing and they're, you know, it's, it's very strange. But for you, is that what this world became was a place where things made sense to you? Yes. You found a home. It was a home. Yes. I, when I entered the kitchen, I was very familiar, even if it was very extreme, the conditions of work, you know, like working 16 to 18 hours a day, having 30, 30 minutes break and a little bit to eat. I mean, we were all skinny like that and, right. and white like ghosts, but we had the passion and we, we knew we were doing something very special. I love the rigor at the time that in that kitchen, that the discipline and the, the rigor and the be beautiful plates. The challenge. That, the challenge, of course, all the time we were challenged. Yes. And the beautiful plates that we were doing and sending. And, and then we had the feedback actually from the clients right away. I mean, clients were saying it's good or clients sometimes were leaving a little bit of food in the plate and we were terrorized because the chef would go crazy. Like if someone was living in a... He was famous for looking at every plate coming back. He wanted to know that they ate everything. Yeah. And if someone was leaving something, it was a disaster. That's uh, interesting. Yeah. It was interesting, I'll say. But anyway, in those kitchens, it's controlled chaos. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's chaotic. Mm -hmm. But the more controlled chaos is happening and the more pressure you have, when you know what you're doing, you have this kind of revelation and you kind of like do things and, and in a very heroic way. And uh, it, was, it's, it was like that. And it's still today for me when I enter the kitchen and it's like lunchtime, it's one o'clock, you have to feed every, everyone in the dining room. Good food, obviously, but in a timely manner, in a clean plate and making sure that it go, the food goes to the person that has ordered that plate and so on. It's an entire uh, process, right? And I get sucked into that process. I love it. There was a restaurant I worked in that was called Enophilia. It was on the Upper West Side, and it was a real frontier because there was almost nothing up there in the upper 80s and 90s. Back in the, This is back in the 80s. Yeah. And then the streets up there, way up in the 90s on off of Broadway and uh, Amsterdam and Columbus, there was very little that was good. And this guy opened a place where the wine list was what was featured. The food was very good. It was very small. And 
we would come to work at three thirty or four o'clock, have the shift meal. Yeah, they'd make us all a meal to eat, and then when the when the shift was over, I was a service bartender. I made all the cocktails for the table. There was no bar. Uh, when we were done, we would sit down, and the owner was a lovely man, and he'd say, he, and, and the manager knew what the stock was to choose. Well, you could choose a really nice bottle of wine. No, not the most expensive bottle, but you could have a $40 bottle of wine back then or $50. He'd that was say, nice. Oh, no, he was very nice. The owner yeah. was a lovely guy. Yeah. And he was never there. And he'd say to the manager, yes, and the manager would open the bottle of wine. He'd pour us all a drink. And then they would dump all the money on the table that we made, the money to divide yeah. between the waiters, busboys, and the service bartender. And then they would roll a joint. They'd roll the biggest joint they could, the size of a flashlight. And then they would smoke pot, drink wine, and count the money. And I remember it was like the greatest experience wow. of my life. I, I have loved never, working with them. Yeah, no, I have never... You don't do that at Le Bernardin. No, we don't do that. You don't divide up the coins. <laughs> we don't do that at Le Bernardin. But in France, also, it's... It's, again, like the military. You don't drink alcohol. You don't smoke joints. You don't... Um, you work. You just, yeah, you have this incredible level of discipline, and, and, and that's it. Now, when you uh, left Robichon, how many more restaurants in Europe did you work at, and what year did you come to the United States? So, Robichon, I do one year, then it's so hard. I have to do my military duty, so I go see him, and I say, I have to leave, unfortunately, I have It's mandatory. And he says, don't worry about it. I'm going to send you to the Elysee. You'll cook for Mitterrand, president of France at the time. I have the connections. Don't worry. And you did? No. no. I want to get out of there. And I'm like, I need to get oh. out of there. I say, no, no, no. And thank you so much. Uh, I, have, I have already my connections. Thank you. I appreciate. And I'm thinking, I'll no, never see this man again in my life. Uh, I'll move on somewhere else, learn something else. On my last day of my military duties, he called me and said to me, Uh, I heard that is your last day. Do you want to come back? And you're going to be the chef poissonnier. He was tracking you. Yeah, he knew. About, I don't know how he knew, but he knew. And I said, you know, sir, uh, chef, I need to think about it. I had a girlfriend and so on. I said, I need... And he says, oh, for sure. Think about it. You have 30 seconds. And I was like, what? And I said, yes. And I went back to Paris and I did two more years with him. So I, I worked with Robuchon for three and something years. Then, um, so I you did the military service. You went into the military. I did my, yes. I thought uh, you were going to tell me that's when you dumped the lobster bisque on yourself deliberately. No, 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 in no. In order no, to no. get out of your no, military no, no, service. No, no, no. Okay. No, I did the military service. You did? Yeah. I What was, did you do in the military? Please don't tell me you cooked. So they put me in a kitchen <laughs> and I was supposed to cook for the officers of, of the whatever I was. Uh, And the food was so disgusting. I had never seen that. They burned spaghettis in the water. I have never seen spaghettis burning in water. It's not possible. Well, they did it. So I went to see the general, and I explained to him my situation. I was a young kid, and I said, you know, I don't mind to do it, but, I'm, you know, I can't cook shit food. Yeah. And he said, I'm going to send you to the commandos. What do you think of that? So I, I look at him and I said, sir, look, look I, I'm so skinny, I, I can't do the commandos. And he was laughing. And he said, what do you want? You want to be my waiter? I said, yeah. So I became his waiter. For one year, I was the waiter of the general. And then I, I went back that. to Robuchon. And then he sent me to, do, to the U.S. So after the military service and you go back with Robuchon, right after that, you come to the States where there's more European... No, so after two years, I want to get out of Robuchon. Right. Uh, And um, I want to go to Brazil. So Why? I, 
I love Brazil and, mm -hmm. and at the time I'm like I find it very exotic and I have a lot of friends there yeah. and you know I'm thinking it's going to be uh, nice and it's going to be uh, a big party as well and you know, yeah. I'm going to have a good time so I went to see Robert I keep Shaw. forgetting you're very young at this time yeah. I'm you, super you young need to party. I, yeah. I want to party and when I told him he said no 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 I'm not sending you on vacation no way so I said I would like to go he said choose something else I said Spain he said Spain is You live in Andorra, which was between France and Spain. You, it's, it's basically Spain. So I said to him, I said, well, don't ask me. Tell me where I'm going. And he said, well, go on vacation. When you come back, I send you to Washington, D.C. I worked at the Watergate Hotel. No. Yeah. What year? Uh, 1989, way after Nixon scandal, of course. Yeah. But I am at the Watergate Hotel. They have a very good restaurant called Jean-Louis. French. Uh, he was the fr probably one of the first French chef celebrity in the U.S. And uh, from uh, Robuchon Kitchen, which is basically like the army, like Catholic school almost, I end up in Woodstock, where we're smoking cigarettes in a kitchen and different ambience, tiny kitchen. I learned a lot with him. He was extremely creative. As I recall, because I lived in Washington for three years, I went to college there. Mm. I went to GW first, sure. 1976 through 1979, I okay. left. And you go there in 89, and you are in what is now the more of the modern Washington. Yes, Washington of then, when I went, it was still a very quiet, sleepy, backwards. There were maybe three restaurants. It was sleepy, too, because I was bored to death. And I wanted to come to New York. I was like, there's no way I'm going How to... How long were you in the... Uh, so Washington, a year and a half, because I had a visa, a uh, student visa, 18 months. So I did my visa, and then I came to New York. And I worked downtown with David Boulet for a short period of time. And then I started at Le Bernardin in How 1991. Does that Le Bernardin, let's face it, is like the temple of restaurants. I mean, many of them have come and gone. I remember that I worked, one of my first jobs in New York was I worked at Delice La Côte Basque yeah, with yeah. Guy Pascal, of course. who was the pastry chef. I worked for Guy Pascal. I knew him. He was the pastry chef. He said that the people from La Côte Basque gave him the name. She said to him, oh, Guy, you can have the name. And, and, and Guy, who, Guy was a man who he loved me. He loved me. He was a very uh, loving person. He was a very loving very person. Kind. He would walk up to me and he would put his hand on my face and say, Oh, Alec, I want for you to come to work every day for me. Oh, I wow. worked at the place delivering the pastries to uh, uh, Le Grenoule. How yeah, do you pronounce yeah. it? La Grenoule, yeah. Le Grenoule, all the old school, Sign yeah. of the Dove, all the old... La Caravelle, all those like, I delivered the pastries from Guy in a truck to wow. their restaurants. So I worked with him. Le Bernardin is... All those places are gone. Le yeah. Bernardin is still here. Yeah, I think we, we're still here and we're still relevant and so on because we basically question ourselves every day and we push ourselves and we have no ego about our accolades or anything like that. Whatever was yesterday doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Every morning we start again and we want to create an experience for the clients, for the people who come. We want to push the envelope with our cooking. We want to create an ambience in a dining room that is very warm, considering that we are for a fine dining restaurant. We want people to laugh. We want people, if they want to scream, scream. We want the dining room to be loud and so on. So we, we always evolve. We change the decor since I am there three times. 
keeping some iconic items like the ceiling. Now, and so you are on. a part owner in the restaurant. Yes, You're I am. You're not just a chef under contract. No, And I as am. a part owner, obviously, you have control over everything that's in the back of the house, so to speak. Yes. And you have some significant control over the front of the house as well. Yes, of course. The fabric on the chairs, the flowers on the table. All Absolutely. You have some say. In yes. That. Interesting. And, and, and we work really well as a team with my business partner it's it's really it's really a great pleasure to to work together which is i think very important to have partners that are aligned with the vision le bernardin is evolving all the time because we first of all we refuse to have signature dishes because the day the day you have a signature dish you don't evolve anymore and as you know new york is pretty quick and fast if you don't evolve you behind yeah, they want the next the, thing the second you stop That's it. It's over. We just have the passion and we want to do new things. Chef Eric Repair. If you enjoy culinary conversations, check out my episode with the author of In Defense of Food and Cooked, Michael Pollan. Amazing things happen at the table. And, you know, as you give up cooking, you give up eating together. And when, when you start going to the microwavable meal, everybody gets their own. And there's something about eating from the same pot that puts people on the same page psychologically, I think. And we give that up. And increasingly, we're eating alone. We're eating in the car. 20% of American food gets eaten in the car right now. Ugh. Um, we eat alone way too often. Ugh. And so we're losing – it's not just about the food. I mean, food is important, but there are the institutions that come with it. To hear more of my conversation with author Michael Pollan, go to heresthething.org. After the break, Eric Repair and I discuss the unparalleled importance of dessert. Mother's Day is coming, and mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like ah. 
being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. For a chef working at the level that Eric Repair does, the standards at Le Bernardin must be excellence, and not just in food, but in presentation, design, and hospitality. I asked Repair what he thinks are the hallmarks of good service, and in particular, what makes a good waiter. A good waiter is someone who's passionate and works hard and understand that he's here to create an experience for the client. That's a good waiter. Of course, he has to have a good relationship with the, the kitchen and be knowledgeable about the food and so and the wines and so on. But we are in a hospitality business. People come to Le Bernardin not to have a waiter star or chef star. No, we are here to make your experience the best we can. And uh, the waiter has to be uh, very generous in this way, you know, has to be very given, uh, has to read also the client really well. You may come to the Bernardin and it could be a date and you're in, in love and so on. The waiter shouldn't be in the middle and try. Are we going to say? Right? We were Leave us alone. You've been, reading, you've been reading my mind because right before uh, you came, we were talking about over-service. Yeah, no, you don't want that. But you may be also celebrating a business deal. Okay, so it's the waiter should be a. Uh, he should be standing alone. by. Stay, stay, <laughs> stay away. Uh, but if you're a foodie and you traveled and you you save money and and every and you're looking at everywhere and the the waiter should see that and then read your mind and know that you want interaction and you want to talk about food and you want to potentially visit the kitchen and you so on. You want their help. Yes, a waiter should be invisible until you need them. So, without naming the part of town you live in where your home is, are there restaurants that you walk out the door? For me, my wife and I have four or five go-to restaurants in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. We have dinner every night at 8. We put our kids to bed every night. Then we walk out the door, the same restaurants. Yeah. Is that the same where you live? Do you walk out the door and there are go-to restaurants for you? Are you always reaching out and exploring new things? Always. Well, first of all, the big difference between you and I is that when you go out, I'm cooking. <laughs> Right. <laughs> so during the week, uh, five days a week, I am in the restaurant. So when you do go out to do lunch uh, on the weekend, one day we go out, one day we stay home. So when we stay home, I cook. You cook because it's fun to cook at home. It's different. Yeah. And then when we go out, I'm very loyal to places, but I like to explore as well. And so it's a mix of. Uh, and sometimes I do trips. Like I decide to go for two weeks in Scandinavia, and I do all the restaurants that I'm thinking that will inspire me and uh, I come back. You try new things. Yeah. Now when you travel the world, what's the difference between the restaurant experience in Europe and in America? What do the Europeans do that the Americans don't do? Or vice versa? Or vice versa, right? Um, well, in Europe, the chef is all, always right. You don't discuss the chef, the ideas of the chef. Mm -hmm. In America, 
the clients really challenge you if they don't like what you are doing or if they don't understand or it's no logic to... Could work. I have that without the, uh, the on-dive? Yeah. They uh, want to modify. But, yeah, of course. In, in Europe, no. It doesn't happen. And then in fine dining in Europe... People are very quiet and silent. It's almost like they are in church, mm -hmm. which I dislike. I like restaurants with ambience and good vibes and so on. So, uh, so in the U.S., I f in fine dining, especially in a city like New York, the dining rooms are more vibrant. Mm -hmm. And then I have to say what I like about Europe is the quality of the products that they have. You know, like when they serve vegetables, they taste like what they're supposed to taste. Mm -hmm. Here is a bit of a challenge. It we, is. It is a challenge because we do not cultivate the same way. You know, like uh, the soil is maybe not the same. I don't know. Like an artichoke in the Mediterranean is not the same artichoke that we eat here. Uh, the artichoke, for example. For an example. artichoke that you would serve at Le Bernardin is grown where? California? California. Right. Yeah, where, where most of the artichokes are grown. And, you know, it's, it's like those gigantic farms and they have mm. ways of cultivating and maximizing the land. It's and a factory. So it's factories and it's difficult. So now when in New York it's the good season, which is going to start now, we use small farmers. Local. Local. And then you have a much, much better product. Uh, so that's the difference in between Europe and uh, in terms of quality of the food. My ex-wife loved Los Angeles, and I would go out there and work. And I said, you know, well, what is it you love about living here? And she, without flinching, we we're at Gelson's Market, and she picks up a tomato, and she goes, you see that tomato? She goes, you can't get that tomato in New York. She said, that's a tomato, meaning that all of the farming and all the fresh food in the California experience just dwarfed the yes. East Coast. And it doesn't travel well. Right. So I'm wondering, how difficult is it for you to get the things you need? Mm. The it's chicken not... you want, the beef you want, the pork you want. You have vendors you buy from. Are you in charge of that, of the shopping, or someone does it for you? Ultimately, I am in charge. But I have, of course, people uh, of course. with different tasks and so on, and learning uh, how to do it and, and so on. I have to tell you, And, and Le Bernardin is mostly specialized in seafood. If you want to have good products, it's very simple. Pay your bills on time and do not bargain. Well, sometimes you have, right. they exaggerate a little bit, but the price is the price and you pay ASAP and you get the best. Wow. And whoever bargains and wants the cheap price and doesn't pay his bills is not going to get a good product. What was the impact of the COVID? Did you close uh, for some period, obviously? Yeah, it was really tough. Yeah. We closed on March 13. A week later, the mayor or the governor, I don't remember, closed all the restaurants. Mm. It was, But I, I, I closed right away when I saw the bad news on TV. I was like, this is really bad. I don't want to have neither the clients or the employees being exposed. And I thought we were closing for three weeks, maybe a month. No, it, it was closed for a long, long period of time, almost like a year. And we couldn't do takeout because our food doesn't go in a box. And I couldn't put a terrace because the experience is in our walls. So what we decided to do, it's a collaboration in between City Harvest that rescue food uh, that will go to waste, that is perfectly fresh, mm -hmm. and World Central Kitchen, the organization of José Andres, who's 
feeding people all over the world when it's a catastrophe. Right now they are in Ukraine. Uh, when it's mm. an earthquake, they go to the earthquake and so on. And we use our kitchen to do 400 meals a day, every day, on the beginning for doctors and nurses from out of states mm. that were staying in hotels. And they, Who paid for all this? Uh, world Central Kitchen was helping us and City Harvest was giving us part of the food as well. So we were able to basically break even. And uh, we did that from... You were back uh, in the military. Yep. We did that from May to December. Now, why is the focus of Le Bernardin on seafood? And this is your philosophy, obviously, it's your restaurant. Why do you focus on it? I didn't open Le Bernardin. I came in 1991. Uh, they opened in 86 in New York. They opened in 72 in Paris. 25 seats in Paris was like a very clubby restaurant dedicated to seafood because they were coming to Brittany, was a sister and brother. Dad was a fisherman. They knew how to cook fish. They were cooking fish. And then they got one star Michelin, then two star Michelin. Then they came to the U.S. Uh, New York Times gave them four star. Right away, they open. They get that huge accolade and it's an instant success. And they were cooking fish because it's their passion. They, they love that. Mm -hmm. And I, in 91, I was well-trained because, as you remember, I was chef poissonnier at Robuchon. So I joined the team and I feel at home. I'm like, oh, this is easy. It's a, I know how to cook fish. I know how to cook fish. And I get along really well with um, the brother who passed away in 94. He mentored me with his style and his ideas. And I... We have a good exchange. I know some techniques that I have learned from Robuchon, who was a great technician. He has a great philosophy. And uh, we work together. And then when, unfortunately, he passed away, I took his position and, um, and moved on with Le Bernardin. Who is your pastry chef? Orlando Soto. <laughs> How is, important do you find? I mean, I never... Super important. I, I never tire of seeing the childlike glow of adults, especially when they go to an expensive restaurant, a very fancy restaurant, and they know they're going to have like the, the highest level of dessert. Yes. And I never tire of seeing their face. They're like children. Yes. And they say, would you like to see the dessert menu? And they're like, oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. And they bring them the dessert menu. They're like, oh, I, I want to have this and this and this. What's your favorite dessert? What do you like? Apple tart. You do? Yeah. Tartatin with a lot of with, creme with... fraiche and, and vanilla ice cream. Then, then I'll think about the calories. It's okay. <laughs> Chef Eric Repair. If you're enjoying this conversation, tell a friend. And be sure to follow Here's the Thing on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, Eric Repair discusses the future of food and the movement of sustainability. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. 
Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Chef Repair is known for creating the type of cuisine that defines a destination restaurant full of pomp and pageantry. So I couldn't help but wonder what he might enjoy in his downtime. If you give me a coco vin, which is a, I can, yeah. a stew of a chicken in red wine in winter, yeah. I'm like, what can be better than that? Do you make that, that at Bernadette? Oh, no, no I do. make it at no, home. You do? Oh, yes. Do you do with the blood or no blood? Uh, it's illegal to serve. Well, it at is. home you can, at home you can, yeah. Uh, yes, I do it with the blood. Yeah, because at home you <laughs> yeah, can. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. my friend said to me, yeah, yeah, we yeah, used to go it. to, uh, uh, this is an ancient reference, but I used to go to Tout va bien. Oh, le Tout va bien, of course. The old Tout va bien. Of course. I used you to know, go to Tout va bien all, all the our, time. All, all the time. And they had coco vin. Oh, yes. And I asked them, did they do the rooster blood? Did they boo the yeah. blood of the chicken? And they looked at me and they were like, no. And then they winked at me. All our team at the time was going there every night. We went to Tout Va Bien every night after when I would work in the theater and I would have coca vin every night. And us too. It was good. It was, it good. was good. You it like coca good. vin? Yes, of course. Yes. I yes. have something in common with the great Eric Ripper in terms of what we crave in terms of food that is, uh, that is incredible. It is incredible. Now, what's the first thing you notice when you go to a restaurant? If it's clean. If it's clean. If it's clean or not clean. It's interesting you should say that. And for me, not clean or if it's a smell... I just can't. Interesting. Yeah. Sometimes it, it's a it's a restaurant near where I live, and I'm not going to say the name, obviously. And the guy does a good job, but it's a sushi place, and I smell the fish. I just can't. I just cannot get in. I open the door, and I'm like, oh, no, no way. They wrote an article. They did this research into fish served in Japanese restaurants in California and particularly in L.A. Mm -hmm. And they identified that 
in some cases, over 50% of the fish that was served in the sushi restaurant was mislabeled. Yeah. It wasn't what they said it was. Yeah, not only in Japanese restaurants, in all restaurants. In all restaurants. Yes. Uh, very often you find snapper is not a snapper. A striped bass is not a striped bass. Right. And, and very few people can make the difference. Because how many times do you eat snapper? You know, it's a lot. It's, I mean, like me, I just look at the fish. I know it's a snapper. You know. <laughs> uh, without the skin. It doesn't have to be. The filet. <laughs> yeah, just look at the filet. I know because it's my job. I do. And I eat. And if I test it, I know immediately. It takes me two seconds. Or codfish or uh, egg or things like that. But a lot of restaurants are misleading. I see so much. Once I did a story with the New York Times. We went to the market. It was about farm-raised salmon versus wild salmon. Mm -hmm. So is it wild, is it farm-raised? And then they were analyzing, they took the samples and took it to, to a lab. So I was with the journalist and they were like, what is that? And I was like, farm-raised. And he was saying wild. And that one, farm-raised. And, 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 and in the market, it was like wild. And wild and wild and wild. And out of the, I don't know, 30 samples that we had, I said, this one is wild. It was the only one. And the, and the lab confirmed that I was right. It was the only and everything one. Everything else wasn't wild. Everything else they wasn't lied. wild. Obviously, people go to great lengths mm. to secure a reservation at your restaurant. Yeah. The Bernadette would probably be the punchline in episodes of Seinfeld for how difficult it is to secure a reservation so bad. in your restaurant. <laughs> oh, it's, it's pretty bad. Well, we, we have many people here who testify to the fact that they've had a, their stresses. Now, but you do... Online reservations, yeah, correct? we do. And do you find that that's a positive, a negative, or both? No, it's positive. It is. Why? Online reservation, it's positive from on our point of view. It's easier because we don't need so many people on the phone to answer the phone. Right. People can do it online. And it's problem. less stressful also for the, the people who are behind the phones. So that's one thing. And then, as a client, you can go online at the time that you wish you can make your reservation. So I think it's very convenient for the clients to be able to go online. And then sometimes you don't get the table because we don't give all our tables online. We save some of the tables and you have to call... For family. Not for family. I mean family of the restaurant. People yes, come over the yes. time. So, I call them family. So if someone else calls and we may have a table and you may have an interaction with someone with a real voice and so on. The yeah. building that you're in, does, does the company that you're with, you're, you and your partner, do you own the building? No, it's a lease. You have, you have a lease? Yeah, we have a lease in that building uh, since 1986. Right. The building has changed ownerships a couple of times, it but has. we have a great support from the building. You, that's what I was going to say, because many people who struggle, yes. uh, especially during the, uh, the, COVID, the COVID, but even before and after that, they struggle because this lease situation is always difficult. You have a kind yes, arrangement we, with your landlord. we have a very kind, very kind uh, landlord, and, and they have always been, since be the beginning, very kind. And I think it's a win-win. We bring to the building a certain prestige, and we, we bring a nice amenity for their uh, clients in, in the floors and so on. So they like us and we like them because they, they like us. <laughs> yeah, That's the way it, it works. works. It's a win-win, yeah. Well, the reason I asked about the online reservation thing was because I have a friend of mine whose mother eats the, the same night 
same time every week. She has dinner at Le Bernardin once a week. She's an old New Yorker. This is her thing that she loves. But I would imagine that you come into a room and it's friends and family, people you've been cooking for them and their children, and on and on for a while now. And then the online reservation runs the risk of the person showing up who don't understand what they're getting into. Someone who might even attempt to send the meal back and say, I'd like you to cook these lamb chops. Or like, you know what I mean? It's like they're not yeah. friends and family. We, we don't have that problem you because don't. I think... Um, the online the, the restaurant, restaurant gets it. Yes, because the restaurant has a certain reputation and we are not beginners. I mean, if you don't know the place, you like Google Le Bernardin, you're like, okay, it's an expensive restaurant, it's fine dining, I, it's not what I want, I'm not going to make a reservation. Oh, they specialize in seafood, I don't like fish, I'm not going to go there, I'm going to go somewhere else. So today, with, with information that we get, we don't have that problem. But to go back to the reservation quickly, you know, we have people who come two, three times a week, especially for lunch. You know, they, they, they work in a building, it's convenient, they do business at the table and so on. We always have to keep few tables that we release 24 hours before, but two or three, four tables for those clients. I mean, they're part of our family, really. For you, do you sense that people are becoming more concerned about sustainability? Oh, yeah, for sure. For quite some time, especially with a young clientele, the older clientele was less sensitive. But today, I think we have been really bombarded with informations about what's happening on our planet, what's happening with the suffering of the animals uh, in factory farms and so on, right? Every day, it's nonstop. And it's not a trend. It's a movement. Sustainability, it's in the mind of everybody. Mm-hmm. Everyone in your profession, certainly. Well, for sure. Yeah. We, we think about it. So what do we do? We, don't, we do not serve endangered uh, species. We support local farmers. We support organic practices. We support actually all good practices in general and so on. Because if we don't, if we don't do anything today, your children, my, my child, they're going to have a, a world that has been sabotaged by the previous generations. We have to do something. So avoiding too many fer- fertilizers, avoiding pesticides. Uh, and first of all, for your own good as well, for your own health. You don't, the planet. You don't want that. And for the planet, mm-hmm. and you don't want to uh, deplete the planet. You don't want to pollute the planet. I mean, Mother Earth is taking care of us. In, we're all here. And we have to take care of it. And today, people are really thinking about it. I want to say, I was so looking forward to doing this with you because I'm such an admirer of yours. Thank you, me too. And the more I read about you and your life and what you've done, I thought, wow, what an amazing thing for any human being to be able to get to a place where in your field, you are at the top of your field. You worked you. so hard that the, the, the boy that was 15 years old who's trying to lift the heavy pots yep. in the kitchen and all the men are yelling yeah. at you and look at where you've come to as a part of that line. And now you're at the top of the mountain, the culinary mountain. Thank you so much. I'm very honored. Chef Eric Repair. This episode was produced by Kathleen Russo, Zach McNeese and Maureen Hoban. Our engineer is Frank Imperial. Here's The Thing is recorded at CDM Studios. I'm Alec Baldwin. Here's The Thing is brought to you by iHeartRadio.
You dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.